Back in the early 60s, which precedes most of the people in the room, my family made the trek in our family station wagon to the Grand Canyon. It was a long, hot trip. Back then, our station wagon had no air conditioning. And when we got there, my younger brother and I ran as fast as we could, racing to the edge of the canyon to look in. It was all we had talked about during the trip, hearing from our parents how amazing it was. We couldn't wait to see it. So I was 11, my brother was 8. We raced to the edge to see who would be first. Almost gave our mom a heart attack, obviously, as she unsuccessfully tried to get our attention as we heard the frantic cry to slow down and be careful. I did win the race with my brother, mainly because I was older. But my brother and I looked in the canyon from the observation deck there at the visitor center. About two minutes later, my parents joined us, grateful that we hadn't gone over the edge. Then I remember saying, okay, we've seen it now. So what's next? Is this everything? My parents were spellbound as they looked into the canyon and didn't respond right away. Then my dad in a tone that told me he was captured by what he saw. He just said, isn't it amazing? We were looking at the same scene, but he saw so much more. I began to wonder what he saw that I didn't. I asked my dad, what do you see? Then he began to tell me of the the depths and the distances, the magnitude of this great canyon and how God had used the Colorado River to help form this vast expanse. I began to see more as he spoke. That day began a love for the Grand Canyon that I have that remains through today. That day my dad helped me to see what he saw. And I began to see what was truly amazing become truly amazing to me. So today, I want us to allow David in Psalm 27 in a similar way to help us to see God as David sees God. Truly amazing. David will help us to see aspects and contours of the love and the power and the majesty of God that at times we might overlook. We can all have times to where we open God's word and then may what, maybe walk away unimpressed or even disappointed. When that happens, it's simply evidence that we need to have our view of God refocused. My dad challenged me on what I saw when I viewed the canyon. He helped the amazing canyon become amazing to me this morning. Let's let David, through Psalm 27, challenge us and what we see when we view God. David will help us to see God, to grow in our knowledge of God as a truly powerful, loving, sovereign, majestic God that he truly is. My goal in this message is that we will leave with a renewed, refreshed desire to seek him, to seek the face of God first and foremost. Let's read the text together. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they 
who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Fathers, we open your word. It is a blessing and a privilege to be able to read your revelation to us of yourself. Lord, we thank you for how you have written this passage for us to study today. And I pray your grace as the pastor preaching your word. Father, I ask your help to communicate clearly. Father, I pray that we will all grow in our knowledge of you through the study of your text. Father, we ask this in your holy name. Amen. This morning I've got three points that I'd like to outline as we do walk through these 14 verses together. The first point is seek God, for he is faithful. That'll be the first six verses. Second point, seek God, for he is inviting you. Verses 7 through 12. And then finally, seek God, for he is good. The final two verses, 13 and 14. So let's begin with that first point. Seek God, for he is faithful. See, in verse 1, David begins the psalm, helping us to see God as he sees God. He gives us a declaration of how he sees the Lord when he says, the Lord is my blank. That expression, the Lord is, expresses reality to David. It expresses a genuine fact to David. David has several statements like this in the Psalms. For example, Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord, what, is my shepherd. Or Psalm 28, 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. So to David, he's expressing absolute certainty, and his confidence is based on the Lord. He describes his confidence in three ways in our text. The first is this, the Lord is my light. 
Well, this is used to show a contrast of, to the darkness of trouble and trial. David sees that the Lord's presence is like light that dispels it, and that no darkness can overcome it. He says, the Lord is my salvation, referring to the Lord's power to protect him from physical danger, to bring him through trouble, danger, whatever it might be. The Lord is his salvation. And finally, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Here he says that the Lord is like an impenetrable fortress to him, the place where he lives in security and safety. What does David see when he looks to the Lord? He sees the Lord that brings a constant, deep security to his life situations. And David expresses a deep confidence that God is genuinely present and that he'll always be there in these ways, his light, his salvation, his fortress. And what's the review? What, what's the result of this view of God? The Lord is my light, my salvation. What? Whom shall I fear? In other words, if the Lord is genuinely light that overcomes any darkness, any trouble, any difficulty, light that cannot be expelled by darkness and adversity and trouble, who then is great enough to fear? He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If the Lord is his salvation, if the Lord is the greater strength in any situation, his response to these realities with God was to see God meeting him with security. What could be a threat great enough that would displace God and invade David's protection? So then David gives some specific examples about what he means when he makes these statements about God and his response to these realities about God. So when he makes these statements, was David possibly thinking about real situations in his life to where he's seen God meet him in these ways that he's describing? In verse 2, when he says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they that stumble and fall. We don't know, but I wonder if David was thinking back to his event with Goliath and to where he was confronting Goliath in the very familiar story with only a sling and a rock, but with that, with God with him, he destroyed Goliath. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 44, some of the same terminology. The Philistine, referring to Goliath, said to David, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. But yet we know it was this foe who stumbled and fell. Or how about in verse 3, where David says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Was he thinking about those real episodes? <laughs> because David was a military commander and he led out the armies of Israel in 1 Chronicles 14, 16, it says, And David did as God commanded him, and they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. So these are real situations in David's life where he has seen God be his security, his salvation, his light, his stronghold. Verse 3, Even though wars rise against me, yet I will be confident. 
2 Samuel 3.1. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. So scripture is not clear what was in David's mind as he pens this psalm. But what is clear is his view of God in the midst of these challenges and struggles. His view of God, how great he is, powerful, dependable. That's his God. Verse 3 says, yet the conclusion for that, I will be confident. Even though enemies will attack the borders of Israel in days to years to come, other armies will come because of the David who sees and knows God to be this strength. He remains confident that God is his light, his salvation, his fortress, even in times yet to come, just as he has in times in the past. Through his experience with the Lord, he's encouraging the people of God to see God as David sees him as he truly is faithful Paul Tripp has a great quote here I'd like to to add because I think it does encapsulate how David would think about what he's been challenged with he says when you fear God the equation is not you compared to the size of your trial but your God compared to it now that doesn't that define how you would think David's viewing this. It's his God. He's his fortress. He's his rescue. He's his strength. So let's allow David to help us challenge the way in which we see God. In verse 4, he says this, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I'll seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's David's one thing. It's not the protection from evildoers that we've read about. It's not protection from the armies that are encamped against him. It's not protection from the wars that he's talked about. All that would be understandable and a great request. His one thing is not peace for his kingdom. His one thing is asking for more of God himself. What does he see of God? That that becomes his one thing. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's his one thing. And it's not just his one thing it's his one thing that I will seek after. It's important enough to him that he actually puts a desire into action. He's pursuing it. His one thing, this desire to be in the presence of God, he frequents the temple to be in the presence of God. We see that in verse 4, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. He states it here. He wants above all things to live in the presence of the Lord. As king, I'm sure he had many more demands than we can even understand in government, in governing the kingdom, ensuring peace and safety and security. But he doesn't ask for those things. He asks for God himself. And not in just a fleeting way, but all the days of his life. 
his view of God, church. I want to understand more of that. My life can be so affected by the needs that I have. That can become my one thing. To allow God to be my one thing. That's where David lived. That's where he was. And what did he do with this one thing? Verse 4, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To observe God, his kindness, his delightfulness. To be preoccupied with God. Knowing he could never fully take in all of God. All of his beauty. To inquire in his temple. To receive enough wisdom. See, David doesn't seek God for the things God gives to him, but he seeks God for himself. But then we see in verse 5, as he seeks God, he knows these things will happen. For he will, he will hide me in his shelter. He will hide me in the day of trouble. He will conceal me in the cover of his tent. He will lift me up on a rock above my enemies. You see, you see all these statements, the emphasis is on God working. He hides, he conceals, he lifts. David's response, we see in verse 6, is joy and gratitude. And I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. How does David see God? He sees him greater than I do. And I want to understand more of that, of what he sees. For his one thing to be in the presence of God, to gaze upon his beauty, to inquire in his temple, knowing he can trust God for all that he needs, that will happen. Well, let's continue. Let's look at a, the second point. As we go to verse 7, where David begins a prayer Verses 7 through 12. Point number two, seek God for he invites you. You know, there's two different kinds of invitations. that are invitations that are genuine requests. We want you to be there. And there are invitations that are more of an announcement. Again, back in the black and white era, back in 1971, Charlotte and I were putting together our list of wedding announcement or wedding invitations to send out to our friends and relatives and people to attend our wedding. And when we were all done, we had one invitation left. And I said, Charlotte, I know what we're going to do with that. We're going to send it to Richard Milhouse Nixon and invite him to come. Well, that's what we did. We sent an invitation to the president at the time. And sure enough, about two weeks later, we got a response. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't make it, but he did send a response. And it was signed by someone, but it was signed. Richard Milhouse Nixon still have it at the house today. But we didn't expect them to respond to that. That, was, that wasn't a serious invitation. What we're going to look at in this point and in this prayer and and what David communicates about God is a serious invitation. This is a serious invitation by God to us. Let's look. Verse 7 says, Hear, O Lord. This is David speaking. Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me and answer me. 
Then in verse 8, the Lord seems to interrupt David's prayer and then issues the invitation in the form of a command. It's a direct communication from God to David that comes in this narrative abruptly. In the original Hebrew, and Jim Ubeck helped me with this, verse 8 is not prefaced with these English words, you have said. But in the Hebrew, there's just this abrupt declaration that says, seek my face. It's God communicating to David to come to him. Seek my face. But yet, as we look at it, it's not only a communication to David, it's a communication to the whole community. It's, a, it's an invitation to all. That's pointed out. You can even see that in the ESV footnote. The command is not only an invitation given to David, it's an invitation in the form of a command from God to the whole community. It could be translated like this, especially if you're from Texas. All y'all seek my face. So David's praying to the Lord, and he's saying, Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. Answer me. And God says, Seek my face. God invites Seek my face, but not just David, because he's king and he's special. All of the community of people of God, seek my face, an invitation from God himself. It would seem that God wants David and the whole community to see their first priority is to seek God, to seek his face first and foremost, to see the importance of the people of God to come to his temple, to observe the sacrifices involved, and to seek God. David's response in prayer to God's command to seek him, again in verse 8, my heart says to you, your face, O Lord, I do seek. Notice how David, is, it's a response from his heart. My heart says to you. It's his desire to respond to that serious invitation. For David, it's not a difficult invitation to respond to. It's a welcome, desired invitation that David receives gladly. David continues his prayer in verses 9 through 12. He's asking God for those things that only God can give. His prayer rests on a divine invitation. And David responds to his invitation by coming to God, seeking his face in prayer. As we continue to hear David's prayer in the following verses, we can see that David is so aware of his sinful condition before God who's inviting him to come. The holy God, seek my face. But David's aware that not only through God's gracious mercy has God given to David and his people, the Israelites, an invitation to come. But because they are an unholy people, God provided a way for them to come, mediated through the priests in the temple. God provided an animal sacrifice, sacrificial system, providing atonement for their sin so they could come to him. David was aware of his sinfulness. And hearing that invitation, also aware of how much greater 
God's gracious mercy expressed towards him and his covenant people was in this invitation to seek him. Out of a desire to be with a holy God in his presence, he cries out, Hide me not, verse 9, from your face, or hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. It would appear that David sees how great the love of God is towards him when he pens these verses. David is not necessarily saying that his parents have forsaken him in verse 10. Just to read that again. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord has taken me in. So he's most likely using this as a comparison. In other words, beyond the breaking point of the love of a mother or father for their child, the love of God eclipses that. The love of God would remain and persist beyond all known love. So David, in faith, is saying, my father and mother could forsake me, but the Lord will take me in. David was aware of his sinful condition before the Lord, but he was more aware of the mercy God holds out in this invitation to seek him. As the church, the people of God, his call to seek his face comes over to centuries to us in the same way. It was the community of, it was to the covenant community that day. It's to God's people this day. The call to seek his face. But however, as a believer, we have a demonstration of the mercy that David didn't know. The great mercy of God. We have through the finished work of Christ assurance that David didn't have. We no longer must come to the temple to seek his face. God has also provided for us access into his presence through the Holy Spirit who lives within each believer. We see in Acts 2.38 after the first gospel communication where the people were pricked in their heart and they said, what should we do to be saved? Peter answered, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the church, for us, for believers now, it's not going to a place where God is. God dwells in his people. The gracious mercy of God. We see this in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? As believers, we no longer have a Jewish priest and the animal sacrificial system in place in order to bring atonement for our sins and make us acceptable to a holy God. God has also provided a mediator for us, a high priest who became the atoning sacrifice for us so we can be acceptable to a holy God. And he 
has invited us to come seek his face. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, we can see even more the love and mercy of God than David could see. And he responded to that invitation, come. His one desire was to come and be with the Lord. What did he see of God? What more can we see of God? Through knowing Jesus, his son, Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. Look and see what Christ has done through the glorious gospel and accomplished for us. Yes, we can see more of the love of God than David could see because we see how David expressed in faith in verse 10 that God would take him and not forsake him. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me. And for the believer, what rings in our ears is not only faith, but a promise given to us by the Son of God who was forsaken by his father. And because Jesus was forsaken, we will never have to fear what David feared. In verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not. Because in Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's our promise, church. We're invited to come. Do you see more of what David sees when he looks at God? Now, through the glorious work of Christ, we can even see more than David. More reasons to respond to this glorious invitation to seek his face first and foremost. And the final point, three, seek God, for he is good. Verses 13 and 14, David ends this psalm with one final view into the majestic character of God that it encourages readers and us to seek God. The final view can help our one thing to become more God-centered, God-focused like David. He says in verse 13, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This isn't a statement of eternal blessing but a blessing here and now. And we need those, don't we? I mean, it's one thing that does and should encourage us when we look to that day, when Christ returns, that glorious day when we'll see him. And we want to encourage everyone all the more as you see the day drawing near. But we need encouragement for today, for tomorrow, for next week. After you've seen that news contest, read that blog, heard that report, to receive encouragement for today, this verse helps us. I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Here David is ending his psalm and his prayer with a declaration of confidence in God as he looks into the future, for which King David probably held in store for him another year battle. Problems ruling a nation. Yet this king is confident that he will continue to see God's goodness in his life. By both his example and by his encouragement, he wants the people of God to see the benefit in seeking God first and foremost, knowing it would be difficult at times, knowing trials come, knowing that the unexpected happens. He says in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We wait for a lot of things. We wait for things to get better. We wait for things to change. We wait sometimes wishing things wouldn't change. But we're not waiting on that. We're waiting on the Lord. That's David's focus. David could wait upon the Lord and encourages his audience to wait on the Lord because of his confidence in God. The confidence we see that as we began this psalm and the first few verses, they're indicated here. And throughout this, to wait on the Lord requires faith in God. Faith that God is good. David said, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He believes that because of his view of God, that he is his light, he is his salvation, he is his stronghold, he is his protector, he has invited him to seek his face. He will hide him in his shelter. He'll conceal him under the cover of his tent. He will lift him high on a rock. He will not forsake him. He will take him in. There's reason to believe that we'll see the goodness of the God in the land of the living. David's view of God is amazing. Do we believe that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living? David believed it because what he experienced with God. We can believe it because of what we've experienced with God, but more. Because we've been promised the goodness of God in each and every Christian life. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, very familiar verse, and we know. You see how David said, and I believe. We can say, and we know. We don't think, we don't hope. And we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good all things. We don't see it. Wait for the Lord. We don't see it. Take courage. We don't see it. But the promise of God says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We don't always see the goodness of God at work, but he's always working. If our hope is in God, we could wait for the Lord, who was always faithful to fulfill his promises. Growing up, if my father promised me something, I could take it to the bank. I never remember a broken promise. But our Father in heaven has never had a broken promise. 
Every promise is fulfilled by a good God. Verse 14, wait, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I love this hymn. I'd like to end with this. It says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, over grace to trust him more. That's my desire. Church, let us seek God. Let us seek God because we see God in a greater way, because revealed in Scripture, God's self-revelation to us through David. What does he see? Just like that view of the Grand Canyon. As I heard what my dad saw, I began to see it. As we see what David sees of God, as we begin to see it, it becomes ours. And we began to see God in that way. And more because we know Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. But Father, we're weak and we need your help. We want to respond to your gracious invitation to seek your face. We want our one thing to be dwelling in your presence. We want to wait upon the Lord. We want to trust the goodness of God, but we need your help. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace and the knowledge that we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. So, Father, as we walk this walk, as we look forward to your goodness in the land of the living, we pray your grace to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray your blessing in our lives. Lord, may we daily respond to your gracious invitation to us to seek your face. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.